but I did my, my master's thesis on a, uh, I did an evaluation of some alternative energy approaches that the government of Jamaica was undertaking. You're listening to Vitamin PhD, a podcast from Boston University, delivering career narratives and know-hows to supplement your doctoral studies. Welcome to season eight of the Vitamin PhD podcast, where we focus on management and leadership from both academic and professional perspectives with guests from a diversity of fields. We are your hosts. I'm Emma, and I'm a PhD student in biomedical engineering at BU. And I'm Allie, a doctoral candidate in American studies. Today, we speak with Deborah Wahlberg, whose expertise in strategic leadership and international development have taken her around the globe, managing large-scale projects with a variety of stakeholders, from community members to government to NGOs. Deborah walks us through what it takes to effectively manage projects and teams, attending to the unique challenges and approaches required for someone transitioning from graduate school to the workforce. So today on our episode, we have the privilege of speaking with Deborah Wahlberg, who is an independent consultant that has provided strategic leadership on international development programs in culturally diverse and politically sensitive environments. She has managed teams across a range of technical areas, including administrative reform, taking market systems approaches to economic growth, strengthening civil society, youth development, and more. Deborah earned her master's in science and energy management and policy from the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Deborah, I would love if you could give us a brief introduction of your background and how you got into project management and a few examples of some work or projects that you've done. Thank you. And of course, so interestingly, I would say that my intention uh, when I set out in my undergraduate and graduate studies was not to go into project management. Uh, as an undergraduate, I studied political science and Middle East studies. And during the course of that, I became increasingly interested in international and decided I wanted to do something in the international field. And at that time, I could not have defined what that looked like, but I thought that this was something of interest. So after graduating and I worked two years, I went to graduate school and did my degree in in, in energy management and policy. And very fortunately for me, there were five Jamaican students in my graduate school program. And the director of my program is also doing consulting work for the government of Jamaica in uh, a range of energy policy. I did my my master's thesis on a, uh, I did an evaluation of some alternative energy approaches that the government of Jamaica was undertaking. And after I completed that, I decided that I wanted to try and get a job in Jamaica. And so after making a list of a couple of local organizations, I also realized that there was a USAID office, United States Agency for International Development uh, office operating in Jamaica and made a bunch of appointments and wound up getting a job with the USAID office in Jamaica. So I moved there after graduate school and spent four amazing years there. And interestingly, I did not work in energy. Um, I actually wound up working in private sector activities. And within USAID, um, at that point, 
Uh, we were really doing more of the management and oversight of activities. And so that was probably my first engagement in project management. Uh, and then after being in Jamaica for several years, I decided I wanted to get some private sector operational business experience and so moved back to New York where I'm originally from and had the opportunity to be the general manager of a, a specialty uh, food processing company and had an opportunity there to work with managing a workforce with budgets with production uh, and then uh, did that and, and got bored and decided I wanted to go back overseas and have spent then most of the last, uh, well, 30 years overseas in a range of different locations. I would say that in certainly in the international development field, you will often start out with uh, some kind of a technical area. And over time, um, as you engage more and if you if, if people recognize, I guess, certain kinds of management and leadership skills in you, your role starts to change and you then wind up going down a path of uh, taking on those those project management kinds of activities. I've been incredibly lucky over many years to work with some people who I'm very humbled by, um, working, for example, in Albania in the mid-1990s with um, small agricultural, um, agribusiness companies in the dairy, poultry, and swine sectors um, as a training advisor, uh, working in Kosovo after the Civil War, managing a very large program um, with um, well, a large staff of 45 people across multiple offices in Kosovo. We had an inter-ethnic staff and it was a very sensitive time politically. Um, I've had the opportunity to work in the Caribbean. I was back in Jamaica managing an administrative reform program where we worked with the, the tax and customs agencies to improve their operating efficiencies. I've worked in Tanzania to help strengthen civil society groups worked in Uganda with smallholder farmers. So um, this may hopefully give everyone an understanding that regardless of where you're starting and what your technical area is, the door really is open to start exploring and moving into a much wider range of areas. That's great. And I really appreciate the ways you're already attuned to the audience and the specific experiences that many of our listeners who are graduate students who have recently gone through a graduate program will be coming from. So we'll come back to that, but recognizing and considering that our audience may be coming from a wide variety of fields with little to no or some extensive experience with project management. I wonder if you could explain what a day-to-day uh, -day work might look like for someone doing project management. Again, recognizing this looks very different. You've given us a sense of that. But if I were finding my way into my first project manager role out of graduate school, what kind of work might I expect to do? How might my day be structured? So what I would say is coming out of graduate school first, you might not find yourself in a project management role. And that's a reality that I think it's very helpful to understand, particularly, you know, as someone who has earned a PhD, and I mean earn, where you have spent years poring over a subject matter, 
you've done tremendous amount of research, you've investigated, you've analyzed, you've considered, you've written, you've had to um, defend that, you know, you feel reasonably, okay, I've got my PhD and I've arrived. Well, you have. And as you enter the work world, um, you're going to essentially likely be starting over. And that's very normal because you're now engaging in a very different part of, of the world, which is um, working uh, to, to be part of achieving certain objectives and criteria that someone else has established. And so you may start out in positions where you're doing um, tasks that may not be where you think you should be. Um, but I can tell you, even as a very experienced project manager, a lot of my days are dealt with dealing with very mundane kinds of things. Uh, and so I think that's a very big part of project management is you're making sure that what should be happening is happening the way you want it to. Uh, recognizing that regardless of how much planning and, and putting in place resources you've done, things will likely not always go the way you anticipate. And then spending time figuring out with your colleagues how to resolve those issues that, that, are, that need to be resolved so that you can get things back on track. So you touched on um, a little bit about expectations of career after graduate school if you're interested in management. Um, is there anything else that graduate students or early career people should understand about successful project management, how they can best leverage themselves in those early positions to go towards that trajectory, or even how they could know if they want to go on that career trajectory? So I think a couple of things, um, and that's a really good question. So, you know, certainly as PhD students, you have just spent a very intensive several years focusing on a particular subject matter area. And uh, it is very probable that unless you are working in something that is so scientific um, and in that, that, um, that your technical area of expertise is very much in demand, it's very likely that uh, you're going to embark on work that's going to be uh, outside of your specific technical area. It may be parallel to, it may be closely aligned with, it could be something completely different. For example, a, your research may have focused on, say, South Sudan, and now someone is saying, you know, we've got work that's going on in, um, let's say, Syria. You know, they're completely different locations. Don't close yourself off to one, to exploring something new, but exploring that something new will help broaden your, your qualifications and skills and actually make you more marketable moving forward. Um, I think also learning things like how to do basic budgets, because everything that we do is governed by the financial resources that are available. I think also in terms of um, just knowing how to communicate effectively with a whole range of people um, is really, really important. 
Thank you, Deborah. You've already begun to answer this, but I'd like to give you a chance to talk more about other core capacities and skills that are necessary for effective project management, in addition to the examples you've given around budget communication. I, I, I don't want to say, uh, I don't like to use um, sort of the extremes, but almost nothing goes exactly the way you expect it to. And so recognizing that whatever you're going to do, things will arise, that is normal. And so if one can learn to just as you step into a new situation or continue in the situation that you're engaged in, just know some, at some point something is going to go off track. That's normal. That's expected. How we manage that is a very important part of strong project management. And, and that includes one, um, if you are the person who has seen that something is going off track, how do you communicate to your colleagues who are going to work with you to resolve those situations? What is the timing of when you communicate something is going off track? But the earlier in the process, you raise those situations with colleagues and, and senior managers, it will generally then provide a greater range of, of problem solving options. The longer you wait to, to raise an issue, then it, it often will um, reduce the number of options available to solve that problem. Uh, I think it's also very important that when you raise issues, you also come with at least one suggestion of how are we going to fix this? You know, I know as the senior manager, one, I don't want to have to figure that I'm going to have to solve every problem that arises. And I don't think that I have necessarily every skill that's needed to solve every problem. That's why we have colleagues. Uh, I think that's very important. Um, in line with that, we have to be adaptable. Okay, so we were planning on taking, you know, or implementing this particular activity within this time frame using these mechanisms and this process. Well, for whatever reason, that's no longer available to us. So you really have to be very adaptable and very quickly to say, okay, well, we thought we were going to work it this way, and that's just not going to happen. Now we have to pivot. And this is how we're going to make this work. That also includes potentially thinking through as the manager a lot of what if situations. And so, okay, if we if we if we handle it in this situation, what are the implications? If we handle it in a different situation, what are the implications? And sometimes it means that there will be a, a least bad option, which is different than the best option. Thank you so much for that um, extensive list of skills. Um, so definitely one of the most important facets of project management from what I'm hearing is problem solving. Could you give me an example of some problems that have arisen uh, during your day-to-day -day as a project manager and what sort of skills that you used to address those problems on the job? So um, 
ranges of different kinds of issues. Some of them can, can involve personnel, staffing. Um, there's a requirement that someone has a particular skill and um, they've been hired to undertake a particular activity. And it could be that the depth of their skill may not be what's required. It could be that their technical skill is great, but they are not able to work well with colleagues. That can be a real problem. And it's a bummer, let me tell you. Um, there are times where I might have had a case on one program where we were informed by the funding agency 14 months into a four-year program that the agency's budget for our activity had been cut to zero. And so we had literally just, you know, sort of really geared up and settled in. Um, and so now we're thinking, oh, my goodness, we've just established all of these relationships with our host government partners. We've established our credibility. Um, fortunately, um, the funding agency was able to identify another source of money, but it was the real hiccup because for a period of time, we were now put in a position of having to say to our, our local partners, we're not going to be here. And, you know, a few months later saying, oh, well, that problem has been fixed. That can really create some concerns about, well, can we really rely on these folks to, to be here for any period of time and do what needs to get done? Um, issues of political and civil unrest. Uh, you know, ethnic groups start um, not engaging with each other in positive ways. And, you know, in some cases, tanks can come onto the street. How do you deal with that in terms of safety for your local staff, for your expatriate staff, or you have a pandemic? and you can't continue to operate and implement your activities in person. How do you uh, shift so that you can complete the work you're doing and achieve what the funding agency is expecting you to accomplish? I think in the those examples, Deborah, you're pointing to all of the unforeseen things that can arise doing this work writ large, but it strikes me that a lot of your experience also comes from working in such a diversity of contexts. And so I wonder if you'd like to add about any additional skills that enable a project manager to work, to work well in communities that are new or unfamiliar. So that's a really good question. And I think in some ways, I, mean, I can give an answer, I think, for myself. Um, I think big part of being able to go into new situations is to say, okay, I have experience across a range of locations and across a range of different technical areas. And that's going to serve me up until a point, but I'm now stepping someplace new. And I have to open myself to understanding and appreciating this is different. And so there are a lot of things that I'll be able to draw on but I have to be open to understanding that I'm going to engage with different people, a different cultural setting, a different technical area. And um, I have to be open to allowing myself to not say, oh, well, we did it this way someplace else. It's, it's that, it's, it, that it, it doesn't necessarily going to copy and paste to this new location. 
Uh, I think there's also, it's very important to appreciate that, you know, my experience is my experience and the experiences of the people who I'm working with in, in the countries where I work are completely different. And it's not good or bad, it's just very different. And there are some things that I'm not going to ever be able to understand because there's nothing in my experience that would allow me to fully understand what they've lived. And similarly, that you know their experiences don't necessarily allow them to understand what I have lived. And that's okay, and it's a good thing, and that's how we all come together and sit and figure out how are we going to make things work. So you touched on how projects um, in different areas around the world might be uncomfortable for you. Um, how was it getting into such a position where you're working so closely in between different institutions? What is that relationship like between the government, NGOs, academics, et cetera? So just to clarify, I wouldn't say that, that those situations have made it uncomfortable for me. I think what it's done is um, it's, it has, in some cases, really humbled me to know or hear what some of my colleagues have lived and how they have um, been able to achieve what they've achieved. My job is to clear those hurdles out of their way uh, and to make sure that they've got the resources that they need to get the job done. Interestingly, working across the range of, um, of partners and stakeholders that you've just mentioned can be a very interesting, um, provide some very interesting experiences. Um, and, and they're all different. And it depends, again, it all really comes down to people. So a lot of times as a project manager, you will serve, I would say, in the role of interpreter. And so you are helping people who are in, let's say, whether it's a US government agency or a host government agency, um, understand new technical areas that they may not be experts in. You are working with both, let's say, um, academic institutions in the overseas location, and you may be working with academic institutions, let's say from the US, uh, who are engaging in an overseas location. And so helping all of those partners, and excuse me, then you're also dealing with the private sector potentially in the local uh, and, and civil society organizations. And, and all of those different groups have different language. They have different priorities. Uh, they have different experience levels in whatever you may be engaging in. And so that as the project manager, you're really bridging those, those communication and knowledge um, divides you may need to work with academic partners to say, look, this is our audience. So I see all this data and information, and that's great if you were publishing a paper in an academic journal. You need to boil this down to seven critical points, and we have to help our local partners, we have to help the US government, we have to help the private sector understand 
why is this a good thing for them to continue doing uh, and how does it help their objectives because if we're not able to communicate this technical information in that way it's not going to be heard i want to follow up a bit um i really love the way you've talked about humility and openness and working across difference and it strikes me that you hold a what seems like a simple but quite difficult and complex balance of clearly driving projects forward and knowing how to be an effective manager and knowing when to step back and to really cultivate those very human skills of openness and relationship building. And so I'd like to give you a chance to talk a bit more about that and the role of leadership or the approaches to leadership that are necessary in this work. Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know how one necessarily teaches that. Um, I think that in some cases, hopefully one can learn some of those things as you gain experience across a range of um, work, whether it, it doesn't have to be overseas. You know, even within the United States, working with people who may be different than those with whom you often engage um, from different economic backgrounds, from different religious backgrounds, from different political backgrounds. Um, I think I, I remember a, a, a situation um, in Kosovo where we were undertaking a, an activity to train accountants and bookkeepers to become familiar with international accounting standards as part of an early process to uh, support Kosovo to become integrated into the wider Balkan community and over time into the European community. And we had trained several of our uh, ethnic Albanian Kosovo staff uh, were part of the, the process to develop this particular training program with a U.S. consultant. And we had um, some bookkeepers and accountants in uh, Serb minority areas in Kosovo who needed to be trained. And I had to approach one of my ethnic Albanian colleagues to see whether he would feel comfortable going to an ethnic Serb area to train people. And it was particularly poignant, um, not only because I was asking him to go to uh, an ethnic Serb area, but particularly because Serb paramilitary had gone into his village and burned down homes and killed some of his family members. So, you know, I would hope that most of us would never experience being on the end of, of paramilitary. And I would hope that most of us would not be on the end of having to have a conversation and knowing that you're asking someone to, to put him or herself in that kind of a situation. And so I thought very long and hard about even asking and what I decided was I had a responsibility to ask this person to make that choice for himself because I thought it would be ultimately it would be inappropriate for me to make that decision for him. Um, I think it's 
some of those kinds of situations where if you don't already have within you some of the um, um, emotional intelligence, let's say, to understand that all of us have, again, our own histories and experiences, and you begin to see some of what um, our fellow citizens elsewhere have lived, that you hopefully start to understand that all of us pretty much just want a roof over our head, food on our table, access to basic health care, and for our children to have safe places to live. And it really comes down to things that are just that basic. Um, and so I think seeing the humanity in each person who we engage with, um, again, I don't know if that's something that one learns. I think it potentially it can be, but I think that's very important when we engage with people, no matter who they are or where they come from. Thank you for that beautiful story, Deborah. Um, I would now like to ask, how can some of these really intense emotional leadership skills perhaps be related to some of the skills that we as graduate students gain during graduate school? So, you know, I think that they are relatable and I think that that what you're doing in graduate school is going to form the, the foundation for for moving forward. So, you know, that you're 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 focusing on um, a particular subject matter. And that's really good that you have the ability to say, okay, I may not have the information or answer now, but I know how to find it. I know, I know how to, to search through resources and locate information, which is part of problem solving. That, you know, when you're working um, together on a, a project as a team, that's the foundation of being part of a group later on. Working with other people is absolutely critical. If you cannot work well with colleagues, then it almost doesn't matter how well you do in your technical area, because if you're not able to engage um, effectively, people won't hear you. And, and what's so unfortunate then is that what you have to offer is not going to be heard and necessarily utilized to the fullest extent. I wonder, Deborah, if there are other pieces of advice that you might give for how graduate students in an academic environment might hone their project management skills. You gave us there the importance of working with colleagues. You've pointed to a few throughout this conversation, but I want to give you the chance to identify some other practical advice or tips for students who want to get more experience that will be useful in this kind of work? Sure. So one of the things um, that I sometimes see uh, working in programs is uh, an insufficient attention to detail. And that comes in often in writing. 
And so one of the things that I, I think is really opportune for people who are in PhD programs is, you know, you're gaining this tremendous skill in writing your dissertation and you better have all the details thorough and accurate and complete because if you don't, you're going to get hammered when you present the information. That is increasingly important and I find is actually a skill that um, is sometimes lacking. And so I think that's great for PhD students. I think also knowing how to communicate both in, in orally and in writing. How do you take that technical information that you are responsible for and communicate it in a manner so that someone who's in a different role who doesn't have your background and expertise can understand it, can integrate it into what they're doing, and then can use it. Because quite honestly, if you're not able to communicate it in a way that someone can use it, then it winds up literally just becoming a piece of paper that's you know sitting on a shelf or a file that's sitting on your computer. And how tragic is that? So knowing how to communicate uh, both orally and, and in written form is very, very important. And I think don't be afraid to take on a leadership role. Uh, I've seen some colleagues uh, probably unknowingly shy away from taking on something new, uh, being very hesitant about uh, trying to solve a problem, not realizing that they have the ability to put forward suggestions. It's really important and very critical. And so don't be afraid to try something new, especially, gosh, early in your career. That's the time to say, let me do something different or let me go into a different area. And you know what? It may not work the way you expect it to, but it's very valuable experience. And this actually is something that you um, talked about previously, but um that's how an academic mindset could almost be harmful because in graduate school, we're so afraid to do stuff outside of our subject area. Right, so as I said, you know, my, my undergraduate degree is in political science and Middle East studies. And my graduate degree is in energy management and policy. I've actually never worked in energy management and policy. Um, although some of the, the, the things that I learned about cost benefit analysis and just uh, de policy development have absolutely served me well throughout my career. Uh, but, you know, but you can also then find technical areas where you may not have even realized that you have an interest or a skill. Uh, and for some people, that's okay. You know, some people want to, to say, okay, here's, this is what I want to focus on. And this is what I'm going to do with my career. And that's, that's great. There are a lot of people who, who I think ponder and say, hmm, you know, would I be interested in potentially branching out into something else? You can always come back to what your primary focus was, but give yourself a chance. And you know, you've spent all of this very intensive time on a relatively you know, narrow subject area. Give yourself a break. See if there's something else that you may be interested in because you know, the next 35 years are gonna be very long if you wind up working in something that you don't enjoy. 
That is such a, a beautiful way to bring this all together. And I feel so grateful that over the course of this conversation, we've moved in and out of the nitty gritty specifics of how this work unfolds, as well as the dynamism of all of the different facets and skills and approaches that it entails. So I think we've got a lot for our listeners to chew on and really get excited about the various ways that these skills and project management might be used and be of interest to them in their careers moving forward. Well, thank you. This is just, it's been such a pleasure. And I hope that there have been some really practical uh, uses of, of information that people are going to be able to apply. Um, I, I, I kind of define myself as a practical realist. So um, I like the idea of being able to hopefully offer people some suggestions. You know, I think really, again, you're at the start of your careers do something adventurous, you know, branch out, try something new. You can always come back to what it was, but um, now really is the time in your career life as you're finishing up and, and starting into the work world where um, this is the opportunity to see if there's something else that piques your interest. And if there is, that is okay, um, you know, do it. Give yourself that break and give us a break in terms of being able to benefit from what you'd have to offer. It's such a, a welcome breath of fresh air for those of us who find ourselves in traditional spaces that really encourage specialization and, and a kind of scarcity that if you don't stay the narrow course, you won't be able to do good work. So that feels like a really hopeful message to share. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you also. Thanks for tuning in to the third episode of the Management and Leadership season of Vitamin PhD. We hope you've taken away some new tools from this conversation on how to effectively manage projects. Be sure to stick around for our next episode, where we take a deeper dive into the importance of managing differences with Dr. Human Haruni, who teaches at the Harvard Graduate School of Education.